You've been cordially invited, as I am the god around these parts, for a story for us to delight in, and a recipe before you depart. Welcome one and all again to my humble abode, my house on the edge marked just down the road. Ever since the days of my youth, I have lived in a small cottage in the United People's Continent, off in the woods of the Vermont Territory that barely bordered the disconnected town of Bennington. The walls are stone cemented together, the windows tempered glass with wooden flower boxes under each one that faces out toward the yard. The roof above me is made solely of repurposed ship planks and reinforced with steel. Lastly are the six rooms that make up this house. Average rooms such as kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, library, and parlor. There used to be more space toward the far side of the house that extended to Bennington, but not I nor my dog Archie go there. Not anymore. I've always been one for the quiet life. In the spring I tend to my garden, in winter visit local farms to stock up on goods for the year. In my downtime I'd paint abstract images of the wildlife, reveling in birds that become amorphous blobs against multicolored backgrounds. Yet in the times where even that wasn't enough, I'd take it upon myself to look into the recipe books my father left, and sharpen my pastry skills. I suppose that time has come again, and for what it's worth, I've decided to record this. Perhaps someone may come along, far after my time is done, and enjoy my father's recipes as I did. At least, that's what I'd hope for. But what type of host would I be to just bake you a pie and call it a night? Before becoming the keeper of this fine cookbook, I have been the sole proprietor of tales within and throughout the realities of the Vermont Territory. It'd be a shame to hoard stories when I own quite an abundance. So let's make a deal. You'll get a recipe, and I can regale you with a story that happened just past the edge of town. It's a woeful tale of misery and murder, yet our protagonist is trying their best. Yes, I think that would work perfectly. Alright, let's get started on what I've dubbed the Assassin's Assistant. Now, just a tad bit of setup before moving forward. This takes place from September 2016 to 2021. We follow our protagonist Elliot as they make their way past Bennington's main roads and down a side street until arriving at Mapleview Memorial Hospital. The leaves on the blushing oak and cherry trees swoop down to the sidewalk below, the reds, yellows, and oranges blending together in piles as Elliot rushes past. The building looms in the distance, its outer bricks painted white with a directory out front to guide those visiting. It is five floors in a basement untouched by staff. Avoiding the front entrance, Elliot dashes toward the back, making their way to a rusty iron staircase descending below between two brick walls, leading to a creaky and battered-looking wooden door. Hesitant at first, they hold back their hand before letting the anxious thought go and knocking on the door. It is here that we continue on from Elliot's perspective. No one writes it better than the one who lived it. This was it. No turning back now. I had spent all morning thinking of what to say, how to say it, and how to insist as politely as possible. There wasn't any way to go about this that didn't seem like a complete mental break, trying to keep together some semblance of normalcy as the handle slowly turned. There wasn't any way to go about this that didn't seem like a complete mental break, trying to keep together some semblance of normalcy as the handle slowly turned on the other side. Each click sounded as if it were moving in slow motion, my heartbeat pounding on my ears in a way it hadn't since early this morning. I suppose I had the right to feel this nervous. Considering the circumstances, I was pleased to feel anything at all. Taking a deep breath, I tried to calm myself down, lying and saying I was ready for anything. Then the door opened. In front of me stood an older man in his mid-fifties with sandy brown hair, pale skin, light brown eyes, a leanish body, and warm smile. He had wrinkles beginning to form on his forehead that moved as he spoke. He was wearing a lab coat, gray shirt, slacks, and loafers, and was about 5'6 in height. He looked as though he could have been a family friend that would have been named an honorary uncle, despite us looking nothing alike and would have spoiled me growing up. 
I shook my head in disbelief. There wasn't a chance I had the right guy. This was easily someone's father, not the local legendary assassin Mads Addison. Served me right for being desperate enough to chase a myth. I am so sorry, sir. I must have the wrong address. I said sheepishly, hanging my head in shame as I turned to walk away. Oh, no worries! If you don't mind me asking, whom were you looking for? I know everyone in town. He replied, reaching out to me before I could go. This is going to sound ridiculous. Probably insane. But do you know a Mads Addison? Oh my, you're just in luck. I happen to know him quite well. Too well, in fact. Really? That's great. Um, where is he located, if you don't mind telling me? You're looking at him, he said with a flourish. Clearly ready to entertain someone as if he'd been waiting for years. I couldn't help but gawk in disbelief, stuck somewhere between laughing and crying. It couldn't be right. It had to be a prank or some sick joke. Right? I shrugged my shoulders and shook off my preconceived notions of what a murderer looked like. <laughs> now, please come in. Let's have a tea and talk about the nature of your visit. If you are still interested, of course. Mads beckoned me to follow him inside. Yeah, of course. I muttered, moving on after him, the doors gently pulled shut behind me. My name's Elliot, by the way. The room before me was a large rectangular sort, the floor made of linoleum, and only a single window present above the door. The right side held some sense of familiarity to my high school science lab. Along a wall on the bottom right were two long marble shelves, each lined with specimens in large glass jars, labeled and dated. Next to the wall was built a traditional lab filled with fully functional educational tools ranging from beakers to goggles. A coat rack toward the back was covered in clean lab coats, a chair to the side of it containing a single anatomically correct human skeleton wearing a lab coat of its own and goggles. Toward the top right was an entrance to the next room over, a burgundy satin curtain occupying the space for anyone to walk through or push aside, split down the middle that was open barely enough to sneak a glance through. Up in the corner was a slop sink painted pearl white secluded by a wall, a step stool leading up to it as if it was just a bit too deep for anyone to reach into comfortably without help. The paint was cracking and rust began to form on the sides, the sink silently dripping droplets of water every thirty seconds or so. The other side of the room, from the top to the bottom corners along the walls, were lined with beige filing cabinets, some overflowing while others stood dented in repose. Where there weren't filing cabinets, there were storage bins under two large tables filled with tools, from drills to a variety of knives and lockpicks. And, wait a second, is that a fucking grappling hook? Holy shit! That's on my list for later. On top of the tables were papers, some important documents seemingly discussing contracts, others being as simple as grocery lists. One note out of the rest caught my eye. Calm Y. I left it alone. Lastly was the center of the room, where a metal table that easily could have been used for surgeries was planted firmly on the floor, a small drain directly underneath it. The table itself was covered in a rose-printed cloth, the fabric draping off the sides and onto the floor below. Mads later explained that it was a surgical table that was there long before he moved in, and that he since reassigned its purpose to being a tea table. Four chairs were present around it, with a tea set on a platter taking residence in the table center. Hand-filled tea bags from around the world, from hibiscus to oolong, were laid in neat rows. Next to them sat a bowl of turbinado sugar cubes with a lid slightly ajar, propped open by a pair of miniature stainless steel tongs. I couldn't help but smile at the sight of them. As I finished taking everything in, I turned to my host, 
somewhat amused by how prepared he was for guests. If I had never been one for believing in clairvoyance, but if anyone were to possess its gifts, they'd be mad. I'm glad you've had a chance to look around, Elliot. Now please take a seat at the table. I'll be right back with a kettle and cups. Then we can discuss why you're visiting, all right? Mr. Addison gave me a gentle smile before walking through the curtains into the next room, which I can only assume to be the kitchen. In a few moments, I heard an electric kettle whistling before being quickly shut off with a clinking of porcelain cups and plates following click behind. The curtains opened once more, Mads carrying the items between both hands, trying not to spill any water. I offered to help, but he was fast to decline, shuffling over to the table and immediately taking a seat. We both chose our tea bags out of the water for brewing, and the uneasy task of not-quite-small-talk began. I guess I should start, huh? I mused aloud, the pit in my stomach beginning to form as my intentions clawed at me. Mm-hmm. Mr. Addison replied, his hands folded near a stirring spoon, the tension divided between me and when he should remove his bag of censure from the cup. I shook off some of my dread and took a sip of my Earl Grey to clear my throat. Bitter. Realizing I left the bag in too long, I removed it and added a few more sugar cubes, stirring in silence to prolong the inevitable evermore. I... Bear with me on this. I'd like to hire you to... Well... Kill me. Not at all. I don't have much money, but... Wait, why? To put it simply, Elliot, my targets are those that are... Corrupt. Police officers, judges, car salesmen. The list can, unfortunately, go on quite a while. So long as you aren't a detriment to society, you will never be on my hit list. Oh, I didn't know that ahead of time. Sorry for wasting your afternoon, Mr. Addison. I said, crestfallen, eyeing the doorway. Don't think of it that way. You've been a lovely guest so far. But I happen to have a question for you, in case you felt like leaving. Go for it. Why do you wish to die? I... It felt like my body was collapsing in on itself. In a moment, I was back at the day. It was a Tuesday night. The phone wouldn't stop ringing. The clock had just struck 11 p.m., and Mom and Dad still hadn't gotten home. Work got off at 6 for the both of them, and they were almost always home by 7. 7.30 if you ordered takeout. I was already getting worried, and the constant ringing only made it worse. That's when I decided to take the call. The second I picked up that phone, my world changed. Some snarky cops calling himself the chief of police said that there had been an accident. Said it was fatal. My parents' minivan got T-boned by a semi-truck going 80 miles per hour. Apparently, the speed limit signs glitched and the truck resumed by. No one survived. I just remember hanging up and feeling completely numb. When the tears eventually did come, I cried for days on end. It was just me, alone in an empty house, without anyone in the world that gave a fuck about me. That's when I made up my mind. Elliot, are you alright? Please, take a deep breath. Slow, deep breaths. You're going to be alright. Mads' voice came to me in waves until I snapped out of my flashback, looking down to see my hand shaking. Mads? I said weakly, hating that he had to see that. Yes, yes indeed. Now, can you please describe your surroundings? I'm in your house. We're at the tea table. And it looks like I spilled Earl Grey all over the rose cloth. That's perfectly fine. I'm glad that you're okay. I'm sorry about that. I rarely have those episodes, and I don't know what triggered this one and why it had to be so fucking intense. 
There's no need to apologize, not at all. I know a few folks that can help you with PTSD therapy and medication, and they're right upstairs. Oh. So that's what this is. Huh. But, um, thank you. And I guess the answer to your question you asked me is the Channel 5 News Major Accident Report from two weeks ago. It took a minute for Mads to connect the dots before he raised a hand to his mouth in shock. That was your family. I can't even begin to imagine the pain you must be in. You know, I thought becoming an orphan would make me some kind of vigilante. Instead, it just made me incredibly suicidal. There was a weak and empty smile on my sad face, tears falling heavily as they slicked down my cheeks. Come here, beckoned Mads. His arms outstretched as he pulled me in for a hug, asking first to make sure I was alright with it. I'm still not going to kill you, but you will always have a place here with me. Stay for a while, Elliot. We can discuss more about the arrangement tomorrow. Thank you. It was all I managed to squeak out before the tears overtook my speech and the sobs kicked in instead. The next morning! I slept in a guest room that night. Mance had two across from his bedroom, just past the curtains and through the kitchen. Without his help navigating, I would have been beyond lost. The hallways were elaborate things, stretching out seemingly endlessly. Past the kitchen were the guest and master bedrooms. Turn a corner and you're at one of the two outer bathrooms of the dining room just across the hall from that. A door over from the dining room held the living room, and a short stretch of hall further held the door to the computer room. Across from the computer room was a storage room that had a large enough sign which simply stated, Touch at your own risk. Spaced far enough away from the storage room was the other outer bathroom, a large and classically renovated work of art with a full bath and shower. A glance inside was all you need to know that the mosaic rendition of the birth of Venus adorned the ceiling, Aphrodite's eyes burning holes into whomever tried taking a piss. Speaking of said unfortunate fellow, I found myself scampering down to the master bath the second I woke up. Locking eyes with myself in the mirror, I decided to evaluate my appearance. A poor choice for someone that feels like garbage. I looked, well, tired. Bags under my dark brown eyes which absorbed all light like the voids they were. My straight black hair was tangled, a long ponytail I tied it in, raising in places, forcing me to undo and redo the scrunchie. I felt myself staring for too long, picking up on things I never would have noticed in a less tired state. My brown skin looked unnaturally pale and sickly under the bright ring light adorning the mirror, a design choice I couldn't understand. My nose seemed slightly more crooked than usual, a fun little dysfunction of being punched in the face and not having this heal properly. I lifted a hand to fix it, but after blinking a few times, I looked fine. Strange. Peeling my eyes away from the mirror, I then turned to the shower. It was a shower-bath combo with a multi-pressure-changing head, the curtain that secluded the area being one printed with the image of Van Gogh's sunflowers. I thought about stepping in, then realized I didn't have a change of clothes, not counting on being alive or taken in by the world's kindest murderer. Sighing, I walked away I was about to leave, until a note in the hamper caught my attention. Good morning, Elliot! I don't blame you for coming in here first thing today. It truly is a thing of beauty. Now, there's a change of clothes for you in the bag in the hamper. Please feel free to take a shower or bath. I'll be waiting in the dining room with breakfast until 10 a.m. If you take longer, no worries. The food shall remain, but I'll be in either my bedroom or in the living room. If not the latter, knock before entering the former. If both are empty, here's my phone number. This phone number was written below. I turned the paper over, and sure enough, the note continued. It was mostly a guide to using bath bombs with several underlines under the word sparingly. 
as well as which knobs were for hot water and cold water due to labels arriving in French, and where to find towels and a place dirty laundry. Then came the end of the note. I want you to feel as comfortable as possible here. You deserve to feel good about yourself, Elliot. I cannot wait to get to know you better and to show you all of the wonderful things life can offer you. Oh, Mr. Addison. That's very nice of you. I placed the note down and reached for the bag of clothing. The style was as neutral as they come. The size tag seemed accurate enough, so I shrugged my shoulders at how in the world he got there so quickly before reaching for the shower curtain and jumping in. But it was right before jumping in that I realized my socks were missing, my feet bare on the cold tile. Come to think of it, I hadn't seen my shoes when I woke up either. I made a mental note to ask Mads about their whereabouts later before getting on with my morning. After a quick lesson in French by turning the wrong knob, I tried as best as I could to enjoy my hot shower without looking down. No dysphoria for me today, no thank you. Instead, I focused on the face-hide shelves stocked with coconut shampoo and conditioner, realizing they had the same salon brand I only saw in passing on the way home from school. The hairdresser had a large glass window, all of his products set out to face the street. Mom used to go there. I shut the water off. Reaching around for a towel, I wrapped myself up in the white fluffy one closest to me. It smelled like lavender and felt like a small cloud had been sheared of its soft exterior. Interior? I don't know, clouds are just kind of soft blobs. I held the material close for a moment, enjoying the luxury of something as small as a good bath towel before drying off properly and detangling my hair. After miraculously not screaming when undoing the knots, I got into my new clothes and checked the time on my phone. 9.14. Perfect. Bounding down the twisting hallway, I swung the dining room door open to find Mr. Addison sitting back in his chair, a crispy strip of bacon dangling absentmindedly from his mouth as he stared into space. He snapped back into focus the moment he heard me, embarrassed to be caught zoning out. Oh, good morning, Elliot. I see that you found my note. Splendid. Now, please take a seat and let's get to know each other better. He patted the table and pointed to an empty seat across from him. Yeah, of course. I took my seat looking at the well-thought-out spread of food in front of me. It seemed as if there was something for anyone, taking into account all diet types and allergy concerns. Grabbing a few slices of melon and a waffle, I dug in as Mads pulled out a pen and paper. Oh, it was that kind of getting to know each other. Now let's start with the basics. What are your pronouns? My apologies for not asking sooner. I do not wish to misgender you. I use they-them pronouns. I'm non-binary and intersex. I tried going by other ones, but people are weird and start equating pronouns with gender, and I don't have one of those. Hope that makes sense. Absolutely. Now, I may be a tad bit old, as it's been a while since I've heard the term intersex. You don't have to explain if you don't wish to. I can search it up later. That's, that's fine. I'll give you the short answer. Essentially, my body decided to pick and choose from a catalog of reproductive parts, but... They didn't seem to get the memo that those parts don't traditionally go together. It's kind of complicated. Very complicated at times. Nothing concerning, though. Ah, thank you for the explanation. I'd never wish to make you uncomfortable. What are your pronouns, Mads? I don't want to misgender you either. It'd be really rude of me if I did. I use he, him for the most part. I tried using they, them on occasion, but those in town tend to say it's too confusing. I've since given up. You deserve to be accepted. Who cares what they think? Fuck them. I'm not interested in that either. Was that your way of telling me you're asexual? 
So that's what that is. Learn something new every day. And yes, I suppose. Congrats on coming out. Now I have a few questions for you of my own. Mostly clothing related. Go for it. What happened to my shoes and socks? I only realized they were gone when I reached the bathroom. I sent your shoes in for repairs. The soles were becoming detached from the bottoms and they'd be unsafe for running around in. As for your socks, I burned them. It... I can understand the shoes. Thank you for that, by the way. That's extremely generous. But why burn the socks? They were ratty, had holes in them, and were beyond repair. Alright, you have a point. Next, how'd you get my sizes near perfectly when picking out clothes for me? It's a little too close to be a mere coincidence. Honestly, I checked the tags on your outfit while you slept. I was trying my hardest to be the least invasive possible. Cool, don't like that. Please don't do that again and ask next time. Even if I'm sleeping, just wake me up, alright? Of course, it was wrong of me to check without your consent. You have my sincerest apologies. It won't happen again. You have my promise. Thanks. So far, you're doing far more than most people do, which is admitting you're wrong and actually apologizing. Nance's face shifted to a slight look of disgust. Is the world truly so backwards that I become an exception instead of the standard? Yep. People are pretty shitty, dude. The fact that you're not an asshole is both rare and astonishing. Last question. Who's... Why? I saw their name earlier, but wasn't sure if I should bring them up. If you don't want to answer, I understand. If I cross a line, just call me out and I'll drop it. Molly was my wife. Ex-wife now, but on amicable terms. We both realized that we weren't meant for each other when I kept seeking out men and she kept seeking out women. Our parents thought putting us in arranged marriage would fix us, but <laughs> jokes on them were queerer than ever. He cracked a slight smile that disappeared as quickly as it arrived. Hell yeah! Wow, I can't believe I unlocked your lore. What does unlock lore mean? Uncover your backstory, essentially. It's a popular term with people my age. Ah, then yes, you unlocked my divorce lore! <laughs> I nearly spit out my drink laughing, choking on the orange just dripping into my lungs. <laughs> oh my god, you're fantastic. Are you alright? Is it something I said? I don't know if you're doing this intentionally, but the way you looked at me and said divorce lore just killed me. I wiped tears off my cheeks, trying to compose myself. I'm glad that you find me entertaining, Elliot. I've been out of the loop for nearly 30 years, so it's lovely to feel some validation. Especially if it makes you happy. You're frighteningly nice for a contract killer. I said, sitting back up in my chair, red in the face. Contract killer? You seem taken off guard. Aren't those contracts on those tables in the main room? I took a quick glance, but there seemed to be a lot of contact and payment information on them. Oh, Elliot, those aren't contracts. Those are my utility bills. Nads threw his head back, howling with laughter. Wait, really? I'm not the sharpest crayon in the box. I should have paid better attention. Oh, no, no, it's fine. You're doing great. I swear I haven't laughed that hard in months. Nads brought a napkin to his eyes, dabbing his own tears of laughter away, collecting himself. <sighs> Let's get back on track for now. I have a few questions for you. Where are you from? Are you a native Vermonter, or have you moved here from somewhere else? My family's from Puerto Rico and moved up here before I was born. I 
guess I'm a native Vermonter. That's lovely. I swear I should have seen you around more if you were born here. Should have met your folks, at least. He was about to carry on, but looked up at me, seeing my face twist in discomfort. I'll drop it for now, of course. What are your interests? And an equally important question, are you still enrolled in a local high school? I enjoy robotics, reading, and graphic design, despite being kind of awful at it. I dropped out of school after the accident. My best friend, Marissa, still attends, and she's probably wondering where I am, but I can't stand that place. Don't feel like being bullied over being an orphan, you know? My voice began to waver, but I wouldn't cry, taking a bite out of a waffle instead. Good gods, kids have never been merciful, it seems. Evil, little creatures. How about this? Let's get you enrolled in online courses. You can complete high school at your own pace and be free of this torment. Is that something you'd be interested in? I chewed and thought for a moment, considering the offer. Yeah, I think I'd like that. Thank you, Mr. Addison. Any time, Elliot. There's no need to be so formal with me. A simple mad shall suffice. You seem like a good kid, and I want the best for you. So that takes us to moral quandaries. He began to trail off, hands clasped at the table, looking right at me. The air felt thicker, the mood shifting as my stomach began to twist in knots. How could I forget? I was sharing breakfast with an assassin. What types of moral quandaries? How do you feel about crime? A general statement is fine, but if you have any particularly strong feelings, feel free to share them. I'll never make you do anything you don't wish to do, but having an assistant would be quite nice. Oh. I thought you were going to ask me to kill someone. Only if you want to. <laughs> no. Well, maybe? But actually doing it would probably fuck me up for life, so no. Now you want to know my thoughts on crime? Mads nodded his head, his hands gesturing in a go-on motion. I guess it depends on what it is. If someone happens to be possessing or smoking pot in a state where it's illegal, that shouldn't be a crime. If someone kills another person in cold blood and that person had done nothing to wrong them, then that's awful and they should be in prison forever. Mads raised an eyebrow at me, curious. But I guess that certain circumstances change things? If someone's polluting the environment for their own gain, or if someone has a massive and successful company and paying their employees livable wages, or even using their position of power to do horrific and abusive things, even if they never did anything to you personally, killing them will make the world a better place, right? Oh, I admire the way you think, Elliot. Not because it suits me personally, mind you, but because you have an innate understanding of picking out the most disgusting weeds so the garden can thrive. Not the dandelions, those have use. But more so the buckthorn and swallowwort of society. I also don't have any interest in horticulture, so I'll move on before this analogy falls apart. Mads paused to take a sip of his... Well, it wasn't coffee, that's for certain. Before continuing. To make a long story short, I'd love to train you in my ways. As my assistant, you'd learn how to protect yourself, how to pick locks, the power of moving around silently without anyone noticing you, and how to use a grappling hook in a way that won't rip your arms off. <laughs> But most importantly, you'll learn the art of hospitality. The best way to hide is in plain sight with people who feel so comfortable around you that they'll never suspect you. No one expects a knife in the back until it's too late. Okay, Brutus. How dare you be funnier than me. That's let I chuckle, not at all serious. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. Mads, if that's what you want to teach me, I'd be happy to learn. The situation is more than a little unconventional, and if things are different, I probably wouldn't say yes. But I've got nothing left to lose, so why not? I'd love to be your assistant. 
Excellent! Starting next week, we'll begin your training, and then, when the time is right, I'll bring you to your first real hit. For now, eat up if you're hungry. We've got a long day ahead of us. Welcome back to my reality, dear listener. I hope you're enjoying the story so far and all of its anxieties. Dipping into a new tale is always a difficult thing. Once you wait around a while, the waters grow more comfortable. That is, until bees start landing in the pool, but we're not there yet. At this moment, I shall hold up my end of the deal and present you with a recipe. Perhaps one that can be enjoyed when you next come to take a listen. With the ingredients become rather popular in the UPC ever since it was introduced to us from the Olmac tribe of Suskanesco. It's chocolate, of course. Despite only being available for the past 60 years for use outside of medicinal purposes, chocolate has been taking off as an ingredient. But I'm sure you're all familiar with Eusippian history and internal trading affairs. Now it's time for the recipe. To make chocolate ginger snaps or crystallized ginger, you'll need the following. 420 grams of all-purpose flour. Sift well before using if grinding your own from soft white wheat winter berries. 75 grams of alkalized cocoa powder. This is Dutch process if you happen to live in a reality where the Dutch exist. Two and a half teaspoons of baking powder. Double acting, of course. I'm sure the single acting stuff has been phased out for quite a while now. A quarter teaspoon of sea salt. 225 grams of butter at room temperature. The highest quality you can find, anything local, preferably made of cow's milk. Salted or unsalted, the choice is yours, either works just fine. 250 grams of sugar, plus more for rolling. Fine crystal beet sugar is our sugar of choice, but if you happen to find corn, date, maple, or even the elusive cane sugar, those should work perfectly as long as those crystals aren't large. But date and maple sugar will affect the taste of the final product. A half teaspoon of vanilla extract, if you can find it. I know tropical products are very difficult to come by at the Northern Territory trading posts. One egg yolk at room temperature. One whole egg at room temperature. For eggs, please consult your local pet chicken, ask your neighbor, attend your local farmer's exchange, or head into a surplus center. I'm sure they'd be more than willing to accommodate you. 30 grams of crystallized ginger cut into tiny chunks. You can make your own for this endeavor, or do as I do and seek out a medicinal confectioner. They always carry exceptionally large quantities of the stuff to snack on. To begin, sift together your flour, cocoa powder, baking powder, and salt, placing it in a small bowl. In a large bowl, beat together your butter and sugar until smooth. I recommend a silicone spatula for this, but a wooden spoon works well so long as you're gentle. Add in your vanilla, if using, and your egg and egg yolk, mixing well. Slowly add in your flour mixture, mixing until no streaks remain, then folding your ginger chunks. Turn out your dough into a lightly floured table, cutting the dough into four equal pieces, rolling each piece 18 centimeters long and 4 centimeters wide, taking care to ensure that they are round logs. Wrap in bioplastic or beeswax wrap and refrigerate for an hour until firm enough to slice. At this point, you can also freeze the dough for up to six months. Preheat your oven to 175 degrees Celsius, lining two stainless steel baking sheets with either parchment paper or silicone baking mat. Fold the dough logs in sugar before slicing the logs into 1.5 centimeter thick rounds. I suggest cutting them thinner, about one centimeter, for a crispier snap. Place the rounds 1.5 centimeters away from each other and place in the oven. Bake for 10 to 12 minutes, rotating halfway through or until the snaps are slightly puffed and firm to the touch. Allow the snaps to cool completely on the baking sheets until firm before transferring to a wire rack and allowing it to cool completely. After that, they're ready to be enjoyed. Baked snaps can be stored at room temperature in a sealed container for up to two days. I recommend serving these with tea, snacking on them with friends to discuss whatever your heart desires, the rain slicking down your window, drowning out the noise of the outside world. A fire crackles in the background as a chill sets in. The rain turns into a storm outside, but you don't mind. All you need is the warmth of the ones you love. Until we meet again, I'll be waiting. I promise to provide in time. For now, I hope you enjoyed our first conversation.
May there be many more within this life. Thank you for visiting my house on the edge.